Well, good morning again, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. I uh, wore a name tag today because I know some of you have forgotten who I am. Uh, I've been out of town a lot, haven't I? I've uh, done a lot, been all over the place. Denise and I spent our 45th wedding anniversary in Utah. Oh, we got, we went to Bryce Canyon, Zion National Park, the North Rim of uh, Grand Canyon. If you've never done the North Rim and you don't like to be around people, there's nobody there. And it's wonderful. And uh, then we went to uh, oh, Slot Canyons and Sand Dunes. Uh, ate at the Iron Horse restaurant. It was all crazy stuff. Uh, we topped it all off with a almost a three-mile hike uh, with a temperature of 111. Um, oh, that was that's a memorable one. Uh, so, and we only took two little plastic bottles of water, but we, we had a great had a great time, uh, and uh, glad to be back. Very glad to be back with you all. Uh, it's so exciting when I'm gone and stuff is happening. I'm reading the bulletin, and I, know, I notice here Misty and Shelly are here uh, and been added, and it's just wonderful. I am so excited about that, and so I'm going to be gone for another six weeks. I think that's that seems to work better when I'm gone. It seems like everything, attendance is going up, Think people are happy. Well, I, I, I can take a hint, and um, so... But no, I'm I'm just so excited to see stuff happening while I'm gone. And you know what preachers do when they're on vacation. They're always snooping around going, how's it going? What's happening? Anything going on? And it was just so refreshing to hear this kind of good news. Uh, Thanks for keeping me in the loop. Got a few things to tell you about before we get into this uh, this lesson on foolproofing your finances. The marriage retreat is just a a couple of weeks away. And uh, uh, if you still are interested in in, in what, what it's about... I'm sure there's some information out there at the Welcome Center. Uh, our special contribution is next week. We are going to kill the mortgage. The mortgage, death to the mortgage. It's going to be gone, you know. And so we're excited about that. We believe that's going to happen. I hope you, if you've gotten a red heart that you're putting it and you're participating, you do not have to put your name on there. I know somebody, I think there was some confusion there. You don't have to put a name on there. I'm not interested really in who exactly is giving I just want to know, are our hearts here at Greater Alton involved? And so far, it's looking like the hearts here at Greater Alton are full of generosity. It's great to see that. It's not about how much you give this special contribution. It is about how much from the heart you've decided. That's that's what God's after. Giving starts in the heart. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. That's going to be next week. And I, I was reading in the bulletin. That's where I get a lot of my information. Uh, about the uh, bonfire next week. We've got a huge brush fire. We thought about burning it now, but now we're going to save it and we're going to burn uh, our note on that pile of uh, wood and watch it go up in flames and celebrate together as we, de- we, we eat ice cream and enjoy each other's company and talk about a little bit about, oh, what do we do now? <laughs> That'll be kind of fun. Okay. One thing I want to tell you, I want to make sure, if there's somebody not listening, pinch them right now, because I want you to get this announcement. Oh, oh, there's some pinching. September 12th, here on the campus, from 6 to to 7.30, we're having a Fall Fest meeting. I know some of you might say, I never hear, hear anything about it. Pinch them. Make sure they heard me. Fall Fest, circle it, write it down, circle it, underline it. The 12th, September 12th. From 6 to 7.30, we're going to be talking about what we're doing, the purpose of this Fall Fest. We have some booths that are already being managed. They'll be there, but they'll be to talk about it. But there's also some booths we're asking some help with if someone could take as well as a few new ideas. That's going to go on again September the 12th from 6 to 7.30. Put it in your phone. It'll help you. Our Fall Fest, by the way, is... October the 22nd. That's a Sunday afternoon from 2 to 5. And we're excited about doing this this year. What I like about the Fall Fest, we, we're a trees from the trunk type of church. We've done that for years. <laughs> Some of you, I'm looking over at my camera, remember the first one. I mean, <laughs> just a few cars, a few people show up. And it was all out of trunks. And, and then it got kind of crazy there for a while. And then we decided to try a Fall Fest approach because we felt like we couldn't meet all these people just going around the line. We just basically said, hi, bye. Here's some candy. See you later. Now the Fall Fest makes us makes it where people are mingling and they're staying just as long, 
but they're mingling amongst us. And so uh, we're looking forward to um, doing that again this year. That's enough. That's enough announcements. Uh, like I say, I've been out of the saddle for a little while. Appreciate the guys again uh, preaching while I was gone. And um, I hope that uh, my brain is all over the road today. I want to apologize ahead of time. Uh, smart brevity is going to be a challenge for me today, but I'm going to tr- do my best. We're wrapping up a series right now, this series called Foolproof. It's been a, one of the longest series we've had, but Proverbs has so much. And we're going to be spending today and next week talking about foolproofing our finances. I had a total of 18 points and I still haven't shaved them off. I'm only going to share five of five with you today. Uh, the reason I what I what I want to do today was talk to you about was this is because um, if, it, if there's anything the Bible has helped me the most with, not only personal sins and strongholds, but how to handle my money. I grew up, and my mother's in the crowd, she can verify. We weren't great at handling money growing up. Uh, I married, uh, I married up when I married because Denise's family handled money much more wisely than uh, I did. So you can imagine the friction in our first year of marriage as we talked about her money, my money, uh, bouncing checks. She wasn't bouncing them. Uh, and, you know, it was just a lot of tension. And I've learned so much over the years. And God has blessed. God has blessed me so much. I don't even know how to how to even deal with it sometimes. Um, he's just been so good to me. But I, I believe it's largely due to looking at this book of Proverbs. It's my favorite book in the Bible. And I've learned more about business. I've, I've read one business book. I've learned, read and learned more about business dealings from the book of Proverbs than any book uh, I've ever read. Now, Solomon was one of the wisest men that ever lived, but he was also one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. And he shares uh, reference after reference. In fact, there's over 130 references. And by the way, I think that's a conservative number. When you go through the book of Proverbs, you find a lot of references to possessions, finances, wealth, riches, money, uh, all kinds of things like that. And it covers all these different things like earning. It covers how to earn, how to save, how to spend, how to invest. And it covers a lot about generosity. It gives us, the book of Proverbs gives you and I, I believe, the highest and best use of the resources that God gives us. If you want to know, how, what do I do? By the way, if you don't have much, now's the time. Why, If you're young and you don't have a lot, now's the time to decide what you're going to do with all the, all the financial wealth you're going to earn for the rest of your life. I was fortunate at a young age. My mother taught me some great stewardship lessons about being generous. I found out I was a pretty stingy kid. But then when I became a Christian... I had people speaking into my life and I was rubbing shoulders with people that handled their money much wiser than I, I admired it. And I, I was like a sponge. I learned so much from the word of God and from God's people. And so I would encourage you to whatever amount you have, uh, that you begin to go, what has God got to say? Because since I've been asking God and been looking to God and involving God into my finances, I've learned so much, and I want to share those with you today. That's what I want to do, just to share. These are the lessons I've learned. Some of these you've learned. Some of you will say, yeah, I've learned that too. And it's just so good to remember these things, all right? First, the first thing is that God's wisdom is more important than money. If you want to know, God's wisdom is more important than money. Look what the Bible says here. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? Notice that, and I want you to circle the word use there, because God gives, God wants money, our money to be used, not stockpiled. He doesn't, He doesn't want it to be wasted. He wants it to be used. It's a tool. He wants it to be in circulation. He wants it working. And notice He says that in the hands of a fool, they don't even have wisdom. What good is it? It's almost like He's saying that, uh, Without wisdom, finances, our money, our resources, the stuff, that's short, the stuff I own, the stuff that God has given me, is worthless and useless. It devalues 
what He's given me. He, it uh, it, it uh, renders useless what money can do. And I, by the way, when you look at the Scriptures, money is a very powerful, powerful thing. It's, it's valuable. It has value in it. It's on purpose. And God puts it in our lives for a reason. And we'll talk about that a little bit here in a second. So, so uh, like I said before, without wisdom, our money, our resources, the things that God blesses with are rendered useless and worthless. And I know this really well. Like I say, as a young man, and still as an old man, I'm still learning. You know, um, I, I've, uh, I got a long story I can't share with you uh, if you want to ask me personally. This, this vacation we took was a disaster in some ways because we had flights canceled and such, and I had to spend more money uh, to get where we needed to go, and I wasn't happy about it. But I just know that there for a long time, Denise and I, we, we most of our fighting was over money. That's because I had no plan. I had no, you know, when someone said budget, you need to budget, I went, huh? That sounded like, wah, 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 wah. I don't, what do you, budget? Budgeting to me is just guessing. Well, how much do you spend on clothing? I don't know. That's, it's useless to, to have a plan that you're guessing. Well, I didn't realize that, that there are some things that are solid. House payments, you know, there's certain things that you know uh, what I'm going to earn. I could put them in place, but the rest was like, okay, guessing. Or, But in a way, it was helping me shape my strategy. And I didn't have a plan. I lived from paycheck to paycheck. Some of you know what that's like. I, I lived from paycheck to paycheck and uh, never had, I bought everything on credit uh, and it was always a mess. I never, I, I uh, bounced checks, uh, overdrew my bank account. It's embarrassing you have to ask your wife for some money to satisfy your bank account. You know, and I, and I did make the big mistake of having her money, my money separate. We learned we need to put it together and then be accountable. I learned accountability. But I can tell you firsthand, I, I'm the, I was this fool. I've been this fool many times. And, and, and because of that, uh, what God gave me wasn't used as a tool in my life. But then I started, again, I started looking to Scripture. I started going to church. I started here, having some godly men and women in my life, responsible people that begin to speak into my life. And because I welcomed that, by the way, I don't know how you are, what your tradition is in your home. But I, during the holidays, I remember hearing my family say, there's three things you don't talk about at the dinner table. Politics, money, and the other one, I don't know. It's, it's, it it kind of comes and goes. But I know one of them's money. And people, we don't like to talk about money unless we're complaining about the wage we, we're being paid. That's about as far as it goes. But to, to open up your bank account or open up your spending habits to somebody else, that's a real, cra- you know, that's a little crazy to ask. But when I began to do that, and I just got open with it and sat down with people, and they went, well, Tim, I noticed something. I see something that I couldn't see. What a great help it was. And then scriptures from the book of Proverbs and from Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he did about faith and about prayer. There's more scriptures about finances and stuff than, than all of the, the Bible says about faith and prayer combined. And so uh, I, I benefited so much from that. Look at the Bible. Here's a, here's a very beneficial passage. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable. Catch that. More profitable than silver. Yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now look, look what wisdom does. It makes, it's, wisdom brings to my finances, my portfolio, whatever it be, whatever amount it is, it's more valuable now. It, it, it raises the value. It gives it potential to yield more when I begin to bring wisdom into the picture. And it helps me recognize just how precious and how good I have it, how God has blessed me like a ruby. I wrote this down, that love, the love of money, we heard about there's the root of all evil. I've discovered personally that the love for money will ruin me, but my love for wisdom rewards me. And I would hope you would learn that too, that if you're wondering... I want you to know there's great rewards when you pursue wisdom and let that be 
the thing you pursue first, then your wealth. You know, before you earn, before you spend, before you save, even before you give, you call on God to give you wisdom and insight. You get that wisdom. Here's number two. Everything I have belongs to God. This is something I think a lot of us here at Greater Alton know this. Am I right? Everything belongs to God. You know, one of the reasons you can't take it with you is because you don't own it to begin with. You really don't own it to begin with. And then I, I read this, and it's so true, and I've, I've, I've experienced this many times. Worry is a sign that I think it's mine. When I begin to worry about money, when I begin to worry about my finances, it's, I'm really, it's a sign that I think it's, it's mine when it really belongs to God. See, the truth is, you and I don't own anything. We really don't. We, you know, uh, I'm living on a piece of land that other people lived on. And after I'm gone, somebody else will be on that deed. But when I'm in the, in the box and they put me in the dirt, I got to tell you, the deed doesn't go with me. Ownership doesn't go with me. It doesn't go with you. We can't take it with us because it belongs to the original owner, and that's the Lord. Look at this, uh, Psalms 89. Everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. Uh, that settles it right there. The psalmist says, everything belongs to you, God. How? Why? Well, you made it. You made everything. And look at this in Haggai. God is speaking through the prophet Haggai. All the silver, all the gold, and the world is mine. And then David, as a, David is at the, near the end of his life, and he, uh, he cannot build the temple because he's had, he's had too much blood on his hands. So what does he do? He gathers as much resources, as much material as he can for his son Solomon to build the temple. And so what does he do? He, he, he calls on the rest of the nation. They have a special contribution to build this temple, this elaborate temple in Jerusalem. And he calls on the people and the people respond. The people come through. And, 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 and then he begins to pray. And this is one of the things he says in the prayer. He says, but who am I? After he's talked about all the things that, that he's collected and the people have brought. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. He's basically saying, you've loaned it to us, Lord. It's yours originally. And whatever I have, it... It really is yours to begin with. And what I'm giving is I'm giving it back to you. Does the Lord need it? Does God need my money? No. Why would he make me? Or why, why would he make me? Why would he encourage me to give back to him then? Because I need it. I need to do that. It's good for me. It's good for me. It, it says a lot. And it does a lot in my life. And so, and I recognize it's the, everything belongs to the Lord. Let me ask you, have you ever loaned something out to somebody? Loaned your car? Maybe a tool? Loaned some money? And don't, do you have any desires attached to it? Like, I'd like to have it back? <laughs> Not broken? You know, keep it as long as you want, but I'd like to have it back. Uh, use it. Uh, my desire is I want to help you, and I have this, and I would like to loan this to you so it'll help you. Sounds like that's how the Lord is. Same way. He wants to, He gives us these things, He loans them to us, but He doesn't want us to just set it on a shelf. If you loan something to somebody, and it's a year later, and you go to their house, and what you loaned them is there's dust all over it, and sitting on a shelf, goes, What's that? He goes, Well, that's that weed whacker you loaned me. Have you, aren't you using it? No. Why? Why? It just doesn't make sense. I loaned that to you so you could use it. And God has this great desire. He doesn't need these things, but he loans them to you and I to use while we're here on earth. He wants, the owner wants his things managed a certain way. Do you know how God wants you to manage your, your finances? Have you thought about that? What's God want me to do with this? Number three, my financial plans reflect how I feel about God. If you really want to know how you feel about God, I've been told you look at two things. 
how you schedule your time and, and what you do with your resources. You look at your checkbook. Where's the money going? Where's the resources going? Where's my time going? You know, Proverbs is very honest. You have to work. It's good to work to earn money. It's, it's good for you. Nowhere do you get the impression in the Bible, this entitlement attitude, that I'm entitled. No, he says, no, you're to earn the money. The government's not the answer, is what I'm trying to say this morning. If I'm in financial woes, really, it's not the answer. The answer is, is what can I do? What does God want me to do? The very first responsibility God gave to mankind was to work the garden. It was work. It's always been there. And there's something good about that. It's, it's healthy for us to work, to earn, to, to, to have merit attached to our earnings. And yet I think about this, that, that not only is Proverbs saying that money is something to be earned, it's, it's powerful and it has value to it and we should respect it and want to use it. I thought, got to thinking, why does God give us things like money or bless us with resources? Well, there's a reason he does it. One is he enjoys doing it. The other is he, he wants us to not only in, uh, enjoy our life, but he rewards our toil and our work. He wants to meet our needs. He wants us to be able to take care of our families. These are all good things, but he also wants us to impact the kingdom of God. He wants us to invest it by blessing other people. But one of the things I notice about, uh, as I look at the book of Proverbs and I look at the Bible in general, God gives us money to test us. And it's good to be tested. You know, tests only reveal to the teacher where you are, but you get a good glimpse of where you are as well, and that can be good. And it tests who we trust. Money tests who we trust the most. And see, a good financial plan I have learned over the years, has been built by trusting the Lord. Whenever I get away from trusting the Lord, that's when I get in trouble. That's when I get upside down. That's when I get in over my head, so to speak. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 11. Trust in your money and down you go. Trust in the Lord. And look at this promise. And flourish as a tree. Grow, flourish, healthy. When I trust the Lord with 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 the things I have, He promises that they'll flourish. And I got to thinking about this. So what's that mean? Well, first of all, he trusting God blesses my earnings. Like I said before, you have to work for it. You have to work for it. It takes effort and God rewards hard work. Uh, Somewhere as a proverb says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I've heard people say, well, you got to work hard, but you got to work smart. And that is true. And one of the smartest things you can do is decide to work hard wherever you are. As an employer, I noticed that. Anybody else understand? We, we, employers notice that. Look what the Bible says here. Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. And I'll tell you what, you know, it's foolish to, to try to find a quick buck. And the foolish are always looking for an easy way. They're jumping from job to job to job to job to job because they're looking for that perfect wage. Uh, the average American believes they should make thirty-nine fifty more a week, about a buck an hour, regardless of what they earn. Even after they've gotten a raise, they start believing, I need to earn a little bit more, a little bit more. Not saying it's necessarily that, that, that uh, there's not a context. Sometimes that's yeah, they need to be paid more. A person needs to be worthy of their hire, and they need to be paid a fair wage. But I just noticed that the wise they work hard and work smart, and it shows on their resume, and that gives them hiring power. People who employ look at that resume, and you can you can try to juice it up and make it as pretty as possible, but the facts kind of ooze out between the lines of what's really going on. And when you trust the Lord, He blesses your earnings. He blesses your ability to earn. Because He says there that when you gather it a little bit at a time, it grows. It grows. 
Trusting God controls my spending. Anybody have trouble with spending? I do. And when I go to the Lord, I find, I find lots of help and, and encouragement to be disciplined uh, when I'm spending. I remember when I, I, would, I would buy something and I wouldn't even think about the payments. I wouldn't even think about, well, what can I really afford it? I wouldn't ask anybody. And boy, the things that change when I begin to ask somebody, do you think I could, I think I'm going to afford this? Well, let's look and see. You know, or, or do you think that this is a wise choice? It's a wise purchase? And, and it's amazing what you can, what, uh, wisdom you can get from other people. That's so helpful. Look at the Bible says here. Don't be one of those who enter, enter agreements, who put up security for loans. If you have nothing, with which to pay, even your bed will be taken from you, from out from under you. I want to say it again. I have bounced checks, overdrawn ATM machines. My wife had to take my credit card from me one time. She said, give me your credit card. What? Give me the credit card. It was embarrassing. But she had to do something. She, she goes, we're bouncing checks all over town. Not this town, but we were bouncing checks. She goes, you're embarrassing our family. Yes, ma'am. Here you go. Get upside down, sideways, bought a car, shouldn't have bought it. Next thing you know, I've got to get rid of it, try to get another car, and now I'm upside down. Been there and done that. But boy, I've sure benefited from all that, all that advice and all the scriptures over the years. Looking to see, what does the Bible say? What does it encourage me to do? I know that the book of Proverbs, I've said this before, the book of Proverbs is not an absolute. The statement's not an absolute. It's saying most generally, this is what happens when you do this. It doesn't say, well, I did this and it didn't happen. Well, maybe the timing's off or maybe you're the exception. But by and large, these the Word of God is true and it really does work. It really does work. I think about, um, I've, there's an old proverb that I, I've not got up on the screen or in your notes in Proverbs 27, it says, know the condition of your flocks. That was brought to my attention. It says, know the condition of your flocks. And I was looking at that going, what's that mean? And I'm thinking of a shepherd who he understood the sheep he had, the, the new births, what was coming in, what he was losing. And, it, and what was, I was encouraged to do was, Tim, you need to know what's going out and what's coming in. You really need to do like a, a monitoring. You ought to monitor everything. I don't know if anybody here is like, I'm not, I don't like receipts. We don't get along. My wife goes, did you get a receipt? Even to this day, did you get a receipt? Oh, it's somewhere in the truck, I think. I may have threw it away. Sorry. I'm better, but uh, lots of improvement here. And I just, I just know that when I sat down and went, okay, I'm going to keep track of every nickel and dime I've ever spent this week versus how much money came in this week and I I discovered a lot. I discovered I was spending a lot on sodas and fast foods and and I was, you know, goofing off with it. I was I didn't it didn't occur to me till I began to actually start keeping track for for one month, four weeks, three, four weeks. I then I saw the patterns, especially when my mentor sat down with me and goes, Do you see this pattern? Do you see this pattern? I went, Oh, some of you I have done that with that's where I got it. I learned it personally. And what a benefit it makes. So trusting, and it's learning to trust God with, with you know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really know the condition of my flocks. And when I did, my spending got under control. Trusting God improves my savings. I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if, it's, if, if you've ever heard this, but a lot, of, a lot of people don't think savings is a godly thing. God's in the savings business, folks. That just alone, you know, uh, that alone ought to tell us something. God loves to save people, and it is godly to save money. What's ungodly is when we hoard it, if we stockpile it, if we just keep adding and adding and adding. Look at this. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. That's about what, what I did. My mentality was when at one time was, I've got this much money given to me, the paycheck. I've only got a week to spend it because we got paid every week. 
I've only got a week to spend this before I get that other check. Kind of, that's crazy, Tim. I know. And I never had anything. I was never able to save for anything. I owned junk. And uh, I, I was a financial mess. But then I began to see these passages. So I save a little bit, huh? Yeah, put a little bit aside. I begin to control my spending. And because of that, I begin to have some money in the bank for a change. Now, somebody says, well, what's, you said something about hoarding and saving. Isn't that the same thing? No, it's different. Well, what's the difference between hoarding and saving? Well, let me give you a definition of hoarding. Hoarding is the excessive accumulation of anything, particularly money and possessions. It's the excessive accumulation of anything, particularly money and possessions. You've all seen the story. Some old man or some old woman dies in some old mansion. And, you know, she's living, you know, rats are in the house. She's in rags all the time. And then after she dies, they find all this money in the wall or they find it under the floor, millions of dollars. They're like, what is going on? She has stockpiled it. She has kept it or he has kept it to himself and, and never used it. That's hoarding. I've never, I've never seen a show called uh, Savers, but I've sure seen a bunch of them hoarders, huh? And, and don't come to my house because every house has a junk room. Some of us, it's it's overflowed in some other rooms, but they, but but anyway, you know, we all we 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 have this tendency to to accumulate, and God's wanting us to not just just don't accumulate it, use it, use it. See, the difference between hoarding and, and saving is, is it comes down to purpose and motive. What's the purpose and what's the motive? What's my purpose and what's the motive of accumulating some wealth, accumulating some money in the bank or investing some money in the bank? Now, I know that I can give some of you here, this might give you your out. You might, get, might provide an excuse uh, and that's not my intent at all. But I think it's godly to say we should save some and live on the rest. Um, and give and live on the rest. But here's what someone once said this like this about hoarding. Hoarding is based on fear for my security. It's based on fear of my security. I'm afraid I won't have enough, so I'm going to keep accumulating. Kind of like the um, the rich man that Jesus talked about who wanted to build bigger barns. He just kept accumulating and accumulating, never used it. Finally, he goes, I'm going to build a bigger barn so I can accumulate more and more. And Jesus says, that's not a good idea. It's not a good way to live. And then there's the, the other way, the other reason people might hoard would be out of pride for status. Look at me. Look how rich I am. But savings, it's a totally different thing. It's saying, I'm going to be wise with, with what I have so I can use it in the future for something God wants. Also, trusting God grows my generosity. Like I said before, does God need it? No. So I'm not giving, I'm not giving money and being generous of money because God needs it, but because I need to do it. It's good for me. I have found this to be true in my life, that trusting God grows my generosity. Look at this passage here in Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first, not the last, the first and best, not the leftovers, part of your income. He's saying honor God by, by doing what with it? It says with the first and best part of your income. I don't know, but there was a time in my life I treated giving like I was paying a bill. The problem is it's not a bill. It's not a bill. I just put it in there with the rest, and I'm paying the light bill, I'm paying the car payment, and there's the God payment. There it is. Okay, I'll go to God payment. It's not a bill. It's an investment. It's an eternal investment when you stop and think about it. So when now, when I get a paycheck, I don't think about what does my lender need. That's not the first thought I have. I go, what does the Lord need? What does the Lord want from me? And then I'll pay the lenders after that. Because that's what the Lord wants. And by doing that, um, 
I'm able to be generous the way he wants. Here's number four. The fourth thing I've learned over the years, and that's generosity blesses my life. And that's, that's really an understatement. Blesses my life big time. I can't even begin to tell you. And some of you here, I look at some of you here, some of you here know what I'm talking about. You just can't outgive God. You've tried. I've tried. There's times I went, okay, God, here's, and I monster amount of money or a monster amount of help, and I'm thinking, let's see what you do with that. And he just humbles me so quickly. It says here, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So when I give, it's like a boomerang. It comes back. In fact, there's some passages that say, if you give, you give, the Lord will give you back with interest. It's like giving a loan to God who will give it back to you with interest. I know that sounds kind of like Joel Osteenish, doesn't it? But that's that's Bible. That's Bible. It may you say, well, does it, does it come back in cash? Well, see, here's the thing. Um, I don't give to make money. I give money to make a difference. That's what I learned. I was taught as a kid. Growing up in the denominational church, if you give, you get it back. Oral Roberts had a big influence on my life. Seed faith, he called it. And I'm thinking, oh, if I give, then I'll get back. And I look at the scriptures and say, well, yeah, God will reward you. But you're giving to make a difference, not to make more money, Tim. And he'll bless your life. The Apostle Paul, as he's talking to the elders at Ephesus, as he's getting ready to say goodbye, he says, by the way, you're... You'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said you're far happier giving than getting. It's one of the few red letters outside of the Gospels when you have a red letter edition. He's saying the master said, Jesus said, you're far happier giving than getting. He believed that. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. He gave his life. Research has confirmed this. Generous people are happier people more content people, and more positive people. And I've, what I've learned is generosity has blessed me in such a way. One of the things that's blessed me in, is in the area of freedom. Things don't have the grab they used to have or the hold they used to have on me because I'm not thinking about what if I lose it. It's taught me how, what can I do to use it? It's just incredible. And it's exciting to see generosity work. Uh, again, I look at some of you faces, been here since the beginning, you old dinosaurs and me. We've watched this church step up, special contribution after special contribution after special contribution, possess the land. Remember that one? I remember when we said, we, we had a special contribution to send some people to England. I remember we had, uh, had a special contribution. You could probably remember some others where we... Send it to, we sent it to a church camp here recently. Some of you campers swimming in a swim pool, Greater Alton. Did we give 20 grand to Little Prairie? They had that pool paid off. They couldn't believe they got what they got from us. Holy cow, Tim, what'd you say to them? I just said, if we, if we have some, we'll give it to you. You, you church, you've come through so many times. That's why I'm not worried about next week. Really not. Oh, you got a number. You know something. No, I know you. I know you. I know your hearts. And this church over and over again has done these special contributions that have come through. And you know, some of us, I remember, some of you don't know this woman named Faye Smith. Some of you do. A few of you do. Faye Smith. And she was a woman that was raising her grandkids, single. And she uh, she dropped in 10 bucks in the plate. Uh, we had a special contribution. She put 10 bucks in the plate. I gave $25,000 that year. And she goes, she found out I gave that. She goes, man, Tim, you, you gave a lot of money. I said, Faye, you outgave me. Well, how's that possible, Tim? I said, because I know you don't have 10 bucks. I still got money in the bank. It's like the widow's might, the two copper coins. And the rich man, Jesus says, that woman with two copper coins just outgave that person that was rich. It's, 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 I've, I've heard it said, we've said it this way before, you know, as we talk about giving, it's about equal sacrifice, not equal amounts.
And that is so true. But I, I get excited watching generosity work around here to watch God touching people and changing people. Campers getting to go to camp. Couples getting to go to marriage retreats. Cars getting repaired. Homes getting repaired. Bills, light bills getting paid. You know, watching people go, I'm at the end of my rope and my church, you're going to do this? And not they're not going around going, I'm entitled. I'm a member. You should be... T-. No, they're humbled by it. And to watch the humility, it is so challenging and so rewarding I don't get no power trip off of it. I get this Holy Spirit trip I can't explain sometimes. It's just, wow. You know, this fall fest we're going to be having on October 22nd. Did I mention there's a meeting September 12th? From 6 to 7.30, you're all invited to it. You're all invited to it. You want to know the skinny? September 12th, 6 to 7.30. But October 22nd, we're having this fall fest and everybody's going to be giving paint, candy, time, energy. They're going to do whatever they can. Why? So we can meet people. Simply just meet people. And maybe they're going to get, they'll get some, something good that want, that'll encourage them to come back. And it's exciting to watch that happen every year. And it's so exciting to watch this is probably the most exciting thing. When we have these special contributions, how they touch the future. Because church, you and I are sitting in a building from people who gave in the past. They touched you and me. Here we are. Right now. Here we are. On the edge of time. And there's people that are dead and gone that are they've invested in your life. They gave to Jesus knowing you would be here. Your name might be even on somewhere in this building under a coat of paint or behind some drywall. And they put their faith, they put their, their finances where their faith was. And here we are. It's nice and cool in here. The sound system works. The lights work most of the time. Uh, coffee's good. You know, it's fellowship's great. See, every time I give, every time I'm generous, it blesses me with this refreshing. It refreshes me when I'm refreshing other people. It refreshes my faith and refreshes my confidence that God is working. And He's doing something in His kingdom. So with great anticipation, I'm giving this year going, what are you going to do with this, God? You know, Malachi 3 says, I double dog, I triple dog dare you to bring me the whole tithe and see what I do. And I've, every time we have social security, I go, oh yeah, God, you think you're, yeah, uh, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, by the way, I do that with great respect. <laughs> I go, we'll see what you do this time. And I can tell you with full assurance, each time I've given in a special contribution. Each time I've tried to give some stuff, I've, I've tried to outgive God. Oh my goodness, He throws. He says you'll have so much you can't hold it in your lap. And here's the fifth thing: gratitude is a better motivation to give than guilt. I've learned that gratitude so much better motivates me to to give than guilt. I don't have to be guilted into giving anymore. Used to. One time I got a paycheck. I bailed hay and got $100. I'm 16. $100. That's a lot of bales. I bring it home. I go, Mom, look, I got paid 100 bucks. Are you going to give some to the Lord? Are you going to tithe? Sure, I'm going to give him that dollar. Dollar? You've not been paying attention in math class. Uh, 10% is $10. $10? Are you crazy? She goes, no, I'm not crazy. But didn't God just give you $100? You mean to tell me, and she gets in my face as sweet as she, you mean to tell me you can't live on the $90? God just asking for a measly 10? Oh, Bob, you're right. Then the guilt just made me, I put the 10 in, and inside I'm going, oh. I did not benefit much from that. 
later I did, I learned some things there, how stingy I was. Look what the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 9. I picked the voice translation because I just like the way it says it, oh folks. And it's on that heart out here in the foyer. It starts off with, giving grows out of the heart. Is that true? Sure. Otherwise, you're, you've reluctantly grumbled, yes, because you felt you had to or because you couldn't say no. But this isn't the way God wants it. God does not want us to give out of guilt. For we know that God loves a cheerful giver. That's why that heart is out there. And, and that's why we're not asking you to put your name on there. And if you did, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's okay, we know. But if you didn't, that's okay too. And we, we want you to know if you're planning on participating or you've already participated in the special contribution, just to take a heart that represents you. And if you've got a family of five, make sure there's five hearts that go in there because your family's giving. Because God looks at the heart. And the heart, what's in our hearts, determines what we give. And I've found gratitude a much greater motivation than guilt. Guilt will get me started, but gratitude keeps me going. All i got to do is just think about how good God's been. How good He's been to me. And, and, and folks, you know me, and you know my life enough to know, I have life has not been kind to me either. But God has been so good. So rich. Been so generous. No one has to guilt me anymore. I choose. And if I'm going to choose a motivation that's going to motivate me to give, whether it be on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis or a special contribution, all I got to do is think about how, how God, how generous he's been to me. I've been, I'm reminded by some of you how generous he's been to me. Some of you have told me, boy, God's been really good to you, Tim. And then when I start whining and complaining, I start thinking, all I got, it shuts it down in a hurry. God's so good. All the things he's blessed me with. What do you want me to do with it, Lord? I uh, was noticing something. I was out at a car lot this week and there was a penny sitting on the ground and I picked it up and it was all beat up and marred. And I could try to make out the year. I couldn't quite make out the year, but I did make something else out. It said, in God we trust. So then I started looking at my nickel and the dime. Wouldn't you know it says that on all those two? On the quarter? And on John F. Kennedy? The old half dollar on the other side? In God we trust. It says it right there. And then I started looking at my dollar bill and right on the back of it, in God we trust. That's not always been on our currency, by the way. And by the way, every circulated currency that's on in the United States has in God we trust. You don't find it on the $50,000 bill or the $100,000 bill because they're not in circulation. The $10,000 bill, no. But you find it in the $100 bill, $50 bill, $20 bill, $10 bill. Why? Because the common, where we are, the everyday money that we have, we need to remember in God we trust. That's, that, that appeared in 1955, not in 1776. Somebody saw fit. We need to remember. We're the richest country in the world. In spite of our homelessness, in spite of the poverty that we, we witness on the, in media, and it's there and it's real and we see it in our streets, our poorest are rich compared to the rest. And I just think it's interesting through God's providence that he is wanting to remind me, Tim, down to the penny, will you trust me? And if there's anything I've benefited the most with my finances that's shaped it and formed it is this idea of, will I trust the Lord? And I want to encourage you this morning as, as we get ready to blow it out next week together that we trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessings. Many of them we're not even thinking of. We don't think of until it's pointed out. But you've been so good to us. You, every good and perfect gift, your word says, comes from you. And Father, we pray that we'll, that we'll take the, the things that you've given us 
and fulfill your desire to not abuse it, but to use it. Lord, we pray you you give us the kind of hearts that consider how we spend it, work hard to earn it, think ahead to save it, and love others to give it. Oh God, what an awesome place this is. You've made this place what it is, warts and all. But we pray, Father, that you will, your Holy Spirit will really run wild right now in our hearts, adjusting what we're going to do for this special contribution. Lay on our hearts what we need to do with your stuff. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares with you. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Nothing.